Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. I'm glad you've joined us today as we attempt to study the Bible with you, try to find some answers to your questions. And that's what the name of the show is, Know Your Bible. We want you to know your Bible a little bit better. And by studying it together, we all get a little better knowledge of our Bible. Uh, we operate by taking viewers' questions. So you'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime you want to to get in touch with us. And let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. So you direct this program. And, uh, we get all kinds of questions, very detailed ones, very general ones, and a lot that are just life questions that people wonder, what's the Bible have to say about that? And we'll try to find an answer for you. So that's the way we operate. We try to answer as many as we can each week. When I say we, I mean me and Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to... Like I said, answer as many as we can, but we always give you one first, just see if you know a little bit of Bible. So Joseph in the Old Testament, the coat of many colors, uh, he had one full brother. He has a lot of brothers, but one full brother. Name that brother, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program, see if you're up on that bit of Bible trivia. Toby, looks like you drew number one today, so I did you, draw get to, number you get to one. take off. Before I jump into that question, <laughs> I wanted to uh, address an, a question I had answered some time ago. Uh, a viewer asked a question about if the word infidel appeared in Scripture, and I, I did some study on that and some research on that, and... Uh, did not find it. However, one of our viewers, uh, a super viewer, if you will, uh, pointed me out correctly that in the King James, the old King James, not even the new King James, uh, does contain the word infidel in 2 Corinthians 6.15 and 1 Timothy 5.8. So thank you uh, for that correction and wanted to, to let our viewers know that we're all learning, not just teaching about the Bible, but um, we always have to have that approach with Scripture is uh, pay attention to what it says. Now to the question uh, for this show, what does unequally yoked mean? My husband and I belong to different churches. Are we unequally yoked? All right. Well, uh, uh, a yoke kind of was one of these things. It was a very familiar sight. It was used to link together two animals, uh, usually in a, a farming operation. You might have a, two oxen yoked together as this beam and a couple of uh, uh, straps or, or joints that connected that the two animals with the beam. And they were yoked together. And when you yoked two animals together, they needed to be of similar size and strength and ability. Otherwise, if you put a very strong animal with a very weak animal, it wouldn't be able to plow straight. And you'd have all sorts. One would always be dragging the other, and one would always be pulled by the other. And uh, that's uh, this 
kind of idea of being yoked together. The term is mentioned as the, the viewer asked the question, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Let's read that together. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now, uh, as to answering your question, are you unequally yoked? Well, you say you belong to different churches. So I don't think that what you're, and again, I don't know your situation exactly, but this is referring to uh, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, people who had come out of the world, and he's saying you got to be careful about yoking yourself up, binding yourself with people who are non-believers, people who don't uh, love uh, Jesus and don't desire to follow his commands and his teachings. Uh, that's going to uh, create a situation where like having two animals that are one's very strong and one's very weak, one's always going to be pulling the other, one's always going to be dragging behind. It's going to uh, inhibit your spiritual growth and your maturity in Christ. And so just kind of taking that on a surface level, uh, I now, attending different churches as husband and wife, uh, I personally would not say is a very wise thing to do. Everybody's got to manage their own household, uh, but especially when it comes to being on the same page and certainly when it comes to raising children, uh, that can be very confusing. Um, so I don't necessarily think that it's an unequally yoked if you're both believers in Christ and, and you want to follow the teachings of the Word, uh, but you're going to have some differences there, and I really think it's important that you get on the same page. Uh, when Steve and I counsel people when we're going to uh, uh, officiate a wedding ceremony, uh, often that sub subject comes up, and we'll say, you know, you guys need to be on the same page with a lot of areas, but chief among those is with your walk with the Lord, and you've got to be doing that together. Uh, two are better than one, and so if you're both working together in that, uh, you'll find more success and your your marriage will be more blessed because of it. So I would encourage you to get on the same page uh, and not necessarily saying that you're unequally yoked. I, I hope that helps a little bit. That's good advice. I'd say you said that often comes up when we're premarital counseling or something. Uh, that always comes yep. up when, yep. <laughs> when we're yep. premarital counseling. Yep. Uh, what do you plan to do about right. church? Uh, and if they say, well, he's going to go to this one, I'm going to go to this one. Yeah. I that's, say, that's, that's not a good that's idea. Not a, that's not a good long-term plan. <laughs> no, yeah. no. Uh, if, you, you, if you can't agree on that, you're going to have trouble agreeing on a whole lot of things. So sure. Sure. anyhow, it's a, a key point you made there. All right, got a question about the rapture. Viewer says, do you believe in the rapture? And where in the Bible does it tell us there will be a rapture? Uh, actually, it's kind of a trick question. It says, uh, do I believe in the rapture? And does the Bible say there will be a rapture? Uh, that's two different things. I believe in a rapture, but I don't believe in the rapture. Now, let me explain. Uh, the word rapture is not in the Bible. You can't find it no matter what version you look at, Old King James, New King James, whatever. Uh, it's not there. The concept is there. A rapture uh, means a transportation, uh, being transported, being caught up. And that is mentioned in the Bible, but the word rapture is not used. Now, when I say I don't believe in the rapture, uh, because the premillennial doctrine, the 
doctrine that's taught in the Left Behind series and things like that, and many uh, evangelical churches have bought into it and spend a lot of time talking about the end times and the tribulation and the rapture and all that. Um, that's a doctrine that men have put together from a whole lot of mixing and matching of Daniel and uh, Revelation and taking verses, I think, out of context and <clears throat> putting together this big doctrine of uh, a catching up, a rapture of believers uh, before a tribulation period and uh, then Jesus coming back to reign and all sorts of things. Uh, that's not taught in the Bible, we don't believe. Uh, a rapture, however, people being caught up is mentioned. And let's look at the one one of the verses that mentions that. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And Paul's explaining to the Thessalonians about people who have already died and the fact that they're going to be with Christ too. Uh, of course, their spirits are already there, but their bodies will be caught up. So here's what he says. The dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. <clears throat> so Paul's talking about the second coming of Christ. And what he says is those that are in their graves will rise and then with a few people on earth that are still alive then, uh, compared to history, I say a few people, uh, will be caught up also. So that's all going to happen simultaneously in uh, the blink of an eye, and it's going to happen all at once. So catching up, a transporting, a rapture, if you want to call it that, uh, yes, it's going to happen. We will go to meet Jesus in the air. Uh, but the whole doctrine of a rapture, before Jesus comes back finally and all that. I uh, don't believe that's taught in the Bible, so no, don't believe in that. All right, totally. Yeah, the next question is a clothing question. It's, uh, where does it say we are not to mix plants or cloth? Or cloth or, uh, and the answer to that, is, I think you're referring to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19. And the scripture there says, you shall keep my statutes... You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two, diff with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. So there's the answer to your question strictly as Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19. Let me step out a little bit from beyond what you ask and say. It's, this is one of those key, key elements of understanding that as you study the Bible, you need to understand that we need to know to whom that command was written and why. Context helps us understand that a little more. Uh, looking at the entire book, this is in the book of Leviticus, which was written to the Levite priest. It was concerning commands. Uh, uh, it was part of the old, old law, the old covenant, but some of it was very precise commands concerning the Levites and how they were to perform uh, their duties and roles in the functions in the service of the Old Testament worship. So, a person with little knowledge of the Bible or little understanding can look at the, pick out verses like that, and they would be very confused. What does it mean to be a Christian? We have to, we can't wear a certain kind. Now listen, 
it all comes down to an understanding of which covenant we are under. Uh, this was under the old covenant. It was written to the Hebrew, the Israelite people, and as part of their relationship, but their covenant with God uh, that that came, it was delivered through Moses, but but started, of course, with Abraham. And so it was written specifically to the descendants of Abraham before Jesus arrived. And so when we understand that, uh, one of the very basic fundamental understandings of the Bible is understanding the difference in the old covenant and the new. And I would say so many of our questions uh, people ask uh, just not understanding. And and by the way, so many people criticize the Bible also uh, in, in just a lack of understanding of, of which where those verses fit in what covenant. And so it, I would, if you have a question about this and you're wondering, gosh, I have to start changing out my closet, uh, I want to encourage you to, um, well, Steve's going to talk about the uh, Bible Correspondence Course, and this helps clarify uh, in lesson number one the difference in the old and the new. So uh, there's where the verse is, but always pay attention to who the verse was written to and why and what covenant it was under. Hope that helps you. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction to the correspondence <laughs> courses. We talk about those every week because it's a good way to study the Bible. Uh, and we've got some tools that we like to share with you, absolutely free of charge. And you'll notice this first series that we'll send you if you want the print copy. Uh, it starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the first two lessons. And we've got some more advanced courses. But those first two lessons uh, are so important. Many, many questions we get on this program are answerable by just saying, well, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're under the New Testament. And we'll, you'll hear us mention that a lot of times. Uh, we've also got some online courses that we're happy to share with you. If you log into oneway.worldbibleschool.org, uh, we'll get you started on a course that you can study through on your phone or your tablet or your PC and uh, not wait for the mail and not do a whole lot of paper filling out. Just do it online. A lot of folks these days like to do things that way. So uh, we've got that available for you. Also absolutely free of charge. So if you want to study the Bible and know more about your Bible, uh, phone number, website at the bottom of the screen, or that special website for the online. Uh, let us know, and we'll get it started for you. All right. Uh, this question's got a little bit of Old Testament, New Testament in it. A uh, viewer says, can people go to heaven without being baptized? Can people go to heaven without being baptized? Uh, my answer is, well, sure. I know a lot of people that have gone to heaven without being baptized. Uh, Abraham, David, Ruth, Esther. I could go on for hours naming people that were faithful in the Old Testament period, uh, were found righteous because of their faith, and I think they went to heaven. In fact, I, you can go to heaven without dying if you want to say, can people do that? Uh, Enoch and Elijah, from what we know, went to heaven without even dying. God just took them straight there. But can something happen is a whole lot different than what's the New Testament teach us to do these days? Uh, that's a completely different question. Uh, if I ask you, can someone go to heaven uh, without believing. Well, you'd say, well, no, you, you've got to believe because Jesus said so, and he did say so. 
in Mark 16, 16, he told his disciples to go teach the world. And he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So we know we got to believe. Uh, if I ask you, can someone go to heaven without repenting? Everybody would say, well, no, you, you've got to repent. That's required. And that is required. It says so in Acts 2.38. When they asked Peter what they should do, he said, you repent and be baptized and you'll have forgiveness of your sins. Uh, if I ask, can you go to heaven without confessing Jesus' name? Everybody would say, well, no, you've got to do that. Uh, so when I ask, can you go to heaven without something, there's a whole lot of things that the Bible says or we're saved by that are necessary, that are required. And you might notice in all those verses that I quoted, uh, baptism is in there. Oh, let me answer it this way. If I ask you, can you go to heaven without being <clears throat> in Christ, uh, without being joined to Christ? Uh, well, everybody understands, no, that's the essence of what a Christian is. He's, he's joined with Christ. Uh, some people say that happens by accepting Jesus into your heart, but not what the Bible says, but everybody agrees, well, you've got to be in Christ. You've got to be joined with Him. So let me just finish with a verse that uh, tells us how we get in Christ. Romans 6, 3. Uh, in the ESV it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? That's how we got connected with Him. Uh, the New Living Translation says it this way, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? Uh, so if you understand that you've got to be in Christ to go to heaven, to be in him, uh, that those verses tell us how that happens. So uh, can someone go to heaven? Yes, in the Old Testament everybody did. Uh, God can do anything he wants to, uh, but the last thing Jesus told his followers before he left earth was go and teach people, and when they believe and are baptized, they'll be saved. So uh, I believe the Bible's pretty clear on that. Toby? Yes, the next question of viewer asks is, uh, why do some churches believe that the communion bread and wine are literally the body and blood of Christ? This is a doctrine that's called transubstantiation, and it's the belief that when uh, the communion is given to you, uh, that when it is in your mouth, it uh, literally becomes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ uh, when they're blessed. Uh, the question is, uh, for me, is this teaching biblically? You ask, why do some churches, okay, and that gets into dangerous territory. We don't, you know, we try to give you what the Bible says on this program and not get into why churches this and that. Um, I think it comes down to the interpretation of a biblical verse. Um, for example, if you look at John 6, verse 53 and 54, the verse there won't be on your screen, but you can look it up at home. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. All right. Well, how do we interpret that? Is that to be interpreted literally? Okay, because if that's the case, then Jesus was teaching cannibalism. I mean, just if we're going to take it literally 
And, the, and this is not just true with this verse, but all verses. We have to understand how to interpret that. Um, and, now, if you, if you reject the doctrine of transubstantiation, uh, which I do, if you, uh, you interpret John 6, 53 and 54 as symbolic, Jesus is, in other words, doing just as he did in many other places where we understand that he was not saying, you know, uh, to take this literally. Which interpretation is correct? Well, we have to think about it. I mean, if Jesus was a rabbi teaching cannibalism, everybody knew that was against the old law. Jesus would not have taught that. So we just got to think about it a little bit, and it brings us to a reasonable interpretation. Now, let's also let the Bible interpret itself, and let's look at this verse, which is on the screen just 10 verses later. John 6, 63, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Uh, I read that as Jesus saying, listen, you, uh, clearly I'm not saying that you have to eat my literal flesh and drink my literal blood. That wasn't the point. And Jesus did that elsewhere. There are, there are many times when he said words that would were be to, in, to be interpreted symbolically. For example, Jesus said, I am the door. Okay, was he a literal door? Was he, was he on hinges and, and swing? No, he was, obviously. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Was he a loaf of bread? No, he was. I'm the vine and the branches. Okay, obviously, all of these are pictures which, which te teach a deeper spiritual truth. So we have to, we have to use our, uh, a little bit of wisdom and discernment as we approach the Scriptures and let Scripture interpret and, and explain Scripture. Uh, to, to buy into a doctrine of interpreting John 6.53 literally means you have to ignore a whole lot of other verses within the Old Testament and the New. So pay attention, use discernment and wisdom. Jesus was a good teacher, and, and as all good teachers do, they use concepts to teach spiritual truths, and he did that a lot. So we interpret John 6.53 uh, in a symbolic way, believe that's the biblical and wisest way to interpret it. Hope that helps you. Okay, a question about the Holy Spirit. Vera says, when God said he would send a comforter, what did he mean? Well, the word translated comforter in that translation uh, is the Greek word paraclete, which means someone who comes along beside, who is called alongside, uh, that helps someone. So there's a lot of other translations to it. Uh, and I'm going to put a translation up on the screen here in just a moment that I don't think we've ever used on Know Your Bible before, <laughs> uh, the Amplified Version. Uh, and it's a kind of unique translation where it fills in, it amplifies the scripture, so it puts in a whole bunch of extra things that sometimes are kind of helpful. Uh, so the verse of John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17 from the Amplified Version, and it says, this is Jesus saying, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And then the Amplified Version puts in all these words that that means a comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, a strengthener, a standby, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So there he explains who the comforter is, whom the world cannot receive and 
or take to its heart because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. So that verse, uh, the amplification helps a little bit there. We kind of understand what he's saying. Uh, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. He'll be in you, he'll be with you, and he'll be a comforter, a helper, a strengthener, uh, all of those things. So that's what the term means, comforter. Take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. The Churches of Christ produce this program for you and sponsor it, and we like to thank a few of them each week. Uh, today, let's talk about the folks up in South Dakota. We broadcast out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Some churches around there are great supporters of Know Your Bible. Church in Mitchell and Watertown and Brookings. Uh, all of them are partners with Know Your Bible, and we appreciate them. And if you're looking for a church home, uh, drop in at one of those Churches of Christ in one of those towns, or maybe you know somebody that attends the Church of Christ. Tell them uh, thank you for providing the program for you. All right, Toby, I think we got time for yep. another one or two here. We do, yes. The, do the Old Testament laws about kinds of meat to eat still apply today? Uh, the answer to that is no. Uh, these were dietary restrictions that were a part of the old covenant that God made with Israel. Uh, they, part of that was just for their physical benefit and blessing. They lived in a time with a world without refrigeration and modern technology. And, you know, we, of course, know the danger of, of eating uh, uncooked poultry or meat that's not cooked all the way. And they had a lot of problems. Um, but all of those restrictions uh, changed under the New Covenant, as certainly as they began to bring Gentiles into the kingdom of God along with the Jews. So all of those laws and restrictions, they were fulfilled at the cross, and they no longer apply to us today. If you'd like to do further study on that, read Colossians 2, 13 through 16, Romans 7, verse 6. Uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8 to answer your specific question. Uh, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So they do not apply to us today. We have the freedom in Christ in the new covenant. All righty. Uh, viewer wants to know, were the apostles married? And my answer to that is probably. Well, we know one of them for sure. And uh, Probably the rest of them, or most of them anyway. Uh, Matthew 8:14 says that Peter had a mother-in-law. So we know Peter was married. And then that's confirmed in another verse, 1 Corinthians 9:15. Uh, Paul, who was not married, is writing about his rights as an apostle. And one of his arguments is, he says, wouldn't I have the right to have a wife? And his proof for that is, like the other apostles and James, the Lord's brother, and Peter. So he specifically mentions James, who wasn't an apostle, he mentions Peter, and then he just says the other apostles who have wives. So uh, we don't know how many for sure, probably most of them, or maybe all of them, and certainly Peter. So some apostles were married, and maybe all of them. All right, we're glad you've been with us today. We want to make sure we get our trivia question answered today. Joseph in the Old Testament had a lot of brothers, had 11 actually, uh, but only full brother was a fellow named Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin and Joseph were born to Rachel, and uh, the other brothers were born to other wives, so he had one full brother, and uh, he 
figures into the story about the Exodus and all that. Uh, Benjamin was his favorite brother since he was his full brother. All right, we're out of time today, but we're glad you've been with us and hope that uh, you uh, come back next week to study the Bible with us. If you haven't signed up for that correspondence course yet, uh, do so today. We'll get you studying the Bible with us. Glad you're here and hope you come back next week. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.